Welcome. You are listening to Mountain View Scattered. This is an audio companion to our weekly church gatherings. It is a way to stay connected while you are away and to learn more about our community, how we can best reach and serve it. I'm your host, Wade. Father God, um, I pray right now that you will... um, One last time, just focus our hearts, focus our minds, and get us settled into your word this morning. Uh, Let your word affect us in such a way that it is changing us. Uh, We ask that your Holy Spirit would work through it to change us, that in the name of Jesus we would uh, do all that your word commands, Learn to worship and praise the way that your word instructs us, and that in the name of your son Jesus, that you will be glorified, Heavenly Father. Lord, we will thank you for that, and we do pray all of this in your son's name. Amen. Well, as you know, Peter's purpose for this letter is that we as readers should be growing both in our faith and in our faithfulness all of the time, but especially when we are suffering. Last week, we looked at how we are living inside of the victory won for us by Christ outside of the church. And this week, we want our big idea, our focus to be practical ways to live out the victory that Christ won for us inside the church, right? And we've seen this before. We, we saw it back in uh, chapter 3 and chapter 2 when Peter was talking about being uh, placing yourself under authorities. Um, we saw that outside of the home. We saw it inside the home and then especially within the household of God. And we see that again here. We've talked about outside the home outside the household of God, and now we're moving back into the inside the household of God, okay? So let's just get started. And I love verse 7 because it sounds huge, right? It sounds epic, it sounds ominous, it sounds dangerous. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. The end of all things. Oh man, okay Peter, you're laying it on us now, right? We've had two weeks of really heavy theology, and after all of that heavy theology, Peter's getting us right down to brass tacks, as it were. He's saying, the end of all things is at hand. Let's slow down for a minute. Let's not get too excited about this because this doesn't mean that we have to start digging out bunkers in the mountains and storing canned goods, although we probably should start saving some water back, okay? (laughs) Um, We don't, we, no, let's do that. Everything else though, let's ignore that kind of stuff. We don't have to be out on the street corners holding up a sign saying that the end is near. We don't need to be doing any of that. Okay, Uh, But yet, Peter is telling the church here that the end of all things is at hand. So what does he mean? Well, he's not saying that everything's going to come collapsing in on itself tomorrow. And yet, what he is saying is that, look, 
You guys know the scriptures, right? I've, I've confirmed that as I've written this letter to you. You know what God's word has said in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant. We're looking at the New Covenant now. And he's saying this. He's saying that you have been created. You have fallen. You have been redeemed over and over and over again. And you've been finally redeemed in Christ. That was the last step. That was the last step. And now we're simply waiting for God to act. Okay? You're at the end of all history, as it, is, as it were. We're just waiting for God to act. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded. And we talked about this word sober last week. It does mean... Uh, don't be drunk all the time, right? But it does also mean something more than that. Because we know that it's not just the drunkenness of alcohol that can get us distracted from the things of God, right? Uh, it's the drunkenness of my work and all the time, 24-7 my work. Or my kids, my little gods that are living in my household. I have to be totally consumed by them, Really what Peter's saying is here, look, anything that is completely consuming your mind, eating up every part of your mind other than Christ, don't do that, okay? Be sober-minded. Be sober-minded and self-controlled. Really what Peter's asking us to do here is to just think. Just slow down and think for a minute. But not just think, right? Think rightly or correctly about what's going on around you. Okay? Because we can look at a water crisis and we can say, well, clearly the world is coming to an end. We can read stories about how the coasts are filling up with plastic and because of this, the fish are dying and there's not going to be any fish left and everything is coming to an end. Uh, we can look at it, everything like that in nature. We can look at the corrupt ways of man, even though we've already seen a couple of weeks ago what happened in the most corrupt generation, that is a giant baptism took place, right, in Noah's generation. Uh, Peter's just telling us to slow down, think for a minute. Think about it not from your perspective, because your perspective is small, right, it's flawed, it's affected by sin, just like the rest of us is. So try to think about this from God's perspective for a minute. Okay? Think rightly, think correctly, knowing that God's plan is coming to an end. And it may not be today, it may not be tomorrow. God's first people, Israel, thought that things were coming to an end when the prophets were there, and then when they got carried into captivity. But then God held out a little bit longer. Right, And then the Messiah came, Jesus came as a baby, and Peter thought to himself, this is going to be the guy that leads us into battle finally to claim victory over all of the enemies of God. And then he was crucified on a cross. And then Christ returned from the dead. And everyone said, this is it, that's the end. He's coming to set up his throne. Not quite yet. Okay, not quite yet. So think rightly. Have, think correctly. Try to look at it from God's perspective, knowing what's going on around you. And then he gives us a reason, and throughout 
this entire passage, I love it because Peter's giving us reasons for what he's saying. Uh, no offense to our, our great Apostle Paul, but sometimes when you're reading Paul, he gives you something to do or something to think about, and then it's comma, sentence, comma, sentence, comma, verse, comma, verse, and then finally the reason, okay? Peter's not going to leave us hanging like that today. Why do we need to be self-controlled and sober-minded? For the sake of our prayers. What are our prayers? Very simply, they are the way in which we communicate with God the Father, right? So we need to be thinking rightly about the time and the place that we are living in so that we can communicate rightly or correctly with God. Knowing how to pray and knowing also that as we live in this world, not panicking, hiding in mountains, storing up canned goods, holding up signs on street corners, but that we are praying in a way that is going to be affecting the people around us as well. Not hiding away from the world, but knowing that whether we want to be or not all the time, we are a part of the world, and it is this world that Jesus has called us to reach out into. Above all, okay, above all. So Peter's saying, hey, look, everything that I've said to you just now throughout chapter 1, verse 1 till now is all really important, okay? I need you to remember all of that because these are the very words of God that he is writing to the church. And yet he says, above all, what? Keep Loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. So above all else that I'm telling you right now, church, keep loving one another earnestly. Um, I can't help but think of earnest as someone's name when I read that. So what is this earnestness that we are supposed to be showing here? Um, seriousness. It doesn't mean that you can't have a smile on your face, but first of all, earnestness is, is taking things seriously. And so going back to the last verse, the end of all things it is, is at hand, so keep loving each other earnestly. Keep loving each other with seriousness, with knowledge, that is knowing what's going on around you. And then lastly, with humility. If you're earnest, if you're serious about yourself, we have to realize that we can't be that serious about ourselves, okay? <laughs> if we're serious about ourselves, we understand that we are flawed people. If we know ourselves the way that God knows us, we know that we are sinful people, right? So to be loving one another earnestly is to go into every relationship that we have with humility, Knowing that even though we have the Word of God, knowing that we have a good perspective on what's going on around us, we can't go into every relationship with pride, right? And yet we go into every relationship seriously. Um, sometimes I don't always know how serious I'm being, right? Uh, but yesterday I got into a conversation with a guy, and I'm just listening. I thought we were just talking about work. I thought that's what we were talking about. And then the next thing you know, he throws something at me that was heavy. He had a work crew, a Baki flipped over, two of his guys died. Oh, okay. 
All of a sudden, I'm in this lighthearted conversation. I thought I was being lighthearted. Um, but I asked him, why are you talking to me about this? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to hear. I want to listen. He clearly didn't have that many people listening to him with a good ear. And yet, he just said, well, you were listening. All right. I went into that situation. I didn't know it. I thought I was just being casual with the guy, but with earnestness, with seriousness, with knowledge, and with humility. So we do that. We keep loving one another earnestly. Now, keep in mind here, too, that Peter is writing to the church. All right? He's writing to the church in Turkey and Asia Minor. Uh, he's writing to us as the church today. So who is he telling us to love? He's telling us to love each other with seriousness, with knowledge, with humility. And then, once again, he gives us a reason why. Why should we do this? And it's an interesting reason, right? Since or Because love covers a multitude of sins. Love covers many sins. What is he talking about? Well, there's a couple things that Peter's talking about here. Throughout the majority of this letter, we have been encouraged, we have been being taught how to have the mind of Christ, as it were, right? We've been taught how to suffer as Christ suffered and how to live out our faith in a similar way that Christ was faithful to the task that was placed before him. So this love here that is covering a multitude of sins, first of all, we know is modeled after the love of Christ, which covers not just a multitude of sins, but all sins. Yet our love doesn't do that. But we do understand this, right? If we are in a friendship with someone, or hopefully the best friendship we have with a spouse, and we don't have time to talk with our spouse, and then the slightest thing is said, that maybe wasn't said in the most loving way, the most thoughtful way, and what does it do to me? Oh, sorry, I just let it out. What does it do to us, right? It makes us angry. It embitters us towards that person. Yet I know with Tara and I, when we have time together, when we're speaking with one another, I know that if I say something that isn't quite right, which I do all the time because I talk too much over over loud children, um, <laughs> or in any relationship, something that is said that is hurtful, that isn't meant to be hurtful, we understand this, right? So loving in this situation, a kind of love that covers over sin, is a love that sets yourself aside and puts someone else in front of you. Sets yourself aside and puts someone else in front of you. Now, this kind of love that we're talking about, Peter is going to go on to show us two ways that this love is expressed. Peter also took that idea from Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12, where it says, uh, the, the writer of that proverb says, that love covers over or covers all offenses. Okay? So he's saying that true love, a love that is seen and felt and understood, covers over. These little things that go on in our life. These little offenses that we give and that we receive. But here's one way that we can be showing this kind of love. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. 
So first of all, let's just, I got to slow down on this word hospitality because usually, not always, but usually when we're reading other letters in the New Testament, this word hospitality is a kind of welcoming, a kind of love that is shown to strangers. So other places in the New Testament, this usually means those who are strangers to the faith, strangers to the church, outside of the church. And then usually fellowship is a kind of love that we have with one another, love that is inside of the church with other believers. But Peter here is obviously getting at something else because in the last verse, we already know he was talking to the church. So show hospitality to one another. And once again, this is inside of the church that he's saying, without grumbling, in which another thing to notice there is that hospitality is not just shown by the placing of food on a table, but it's shown in our hearts, right? So this is a kind of love that we're responsible to those around us, but we are also held responsible in our hearts to God with this kind of love. So showing hospitality, one of the things we know is going on, this is showing hospitality in the midst of suffering. In the midst of suffering. Okay? So why would he be saying this to other people that are a part of the church? Is he saying that maybe they don't have good relationships here in the churches that he's writing to? I don't think so. I think maybe what he's saying is for those that are traveling to escape suffering or that are on the road and you know that they're a part of God's people, the church, then you need to welcome them in and show hospitality to them even though they may be strangers to you. But this also means new people that are being brought into the church, right? We show hospitality to new people that are being welcomed into the fellowship. But since this word, hospitality, is often used for those outside of the church, it's also good to think about it from the perspective of those people that in this culture, at this time, are disliking Christians, what kind of effect is it going to have when they see Christians showing a type of love that welcomes in strangers, that feeds strangers, that cares for strangers in a time of need, perhaps when their business has fallen apart because during this time they could not stay in business as a Christian? They could not keep a job because they were a Christian. But then also to those outside of the faith. Now I've got to warn you, um, this whole big idea of hospitality here can be self-detrimental. It can be dangerous to yourself. Right? Um, I've just been reading a book uh, by a lady named Rosaria Butterfield. And uh, she comes from a group in America, that looks at themselves as oppressed and small and marginalized and put off into the corners of society. Um, but it's also in this community of people that she says that she learns what true, she learned what true hospitality was all about. Welcoming people that were not welcomed by the culture around them. So brace yourselves. She comes from a homosexual community. 
She's no longer a homosexual. She is a confessing Christian who is married and has children. And yet, for all of those people that were a part of her old life, she welcomes them into their home. And um, her husband, who is a pastor, has actually, she works a part-time job, and he's actually gotten a second job because of the amount of hospitality that they show to those both within the church and without the church, it's increased their food budget four times. <laughs> um, I'm not saying you have to increase your food budget by four times. I would like to. But showing hospitality can be costly. And for these Christians in this day, things don't change like that. It was still costly for them. And it is costly for us. And sometimes it may hurt, but that is exactly what Peter is calling us to here. And then here's another way in which we express this kind of love that Peter is, is encouraging us to express. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Back in chapter 1, verse 6 of 1 Peter, we saw another various, another varied, and that is varied trials or various trials that the Christians were being faced with. This word here, varied, is, is telling us, hey look, you know those various trials that you're being faced with? There are various forms of God's grace that he has shared with you, that he has blessed you with, that are there to meet those various trials. And here's one of the things, then, that we have been given, that we've been graced with to meet those various trials, and that is gifts. Now, what Peter doesn't do here is list gifts. Isn't that interesting? Right? Paul is always listing gifts. <laughs> In fact, throughout the New Testament, we have five different lists of gifts that are given to Christians within the church. And here's the other interesting thing. Among those five lists, they don't all match up. There's different things in each one, and not all of them are found in the other lists. And then elsewhere, the, the word that's used here for the gifts that Peter is talking about, some places, it, for instance, in 1 Corinthians, it's plural that people are given gifts. Here it's singular that people are given a gift, which always causes problems for people, right? Pastor Dave in Mountain View Somerset West, he is strongly of the opinion that people are only given a singular one gift. And I'm okay with that. Why? I don't know any better, okay? <laughs> but elsewhere we see where multiple gifts is referenced and other people hold to that view on this. Some places in Scripture, Paul references things that are in none of the lists. He mentions marriage as being a gift given to a person to be blessing the church with. And also... He says that singleness is a gift given to a person to be blessing the church with. Needless to say, Peter doesn't go into a whole list of what all these gifts are. Maybe they've been taught it already, 
I'm not sure. Maybe he's just expecting that with the knowledge that they have of Scripture and the good teaching that they are receiving in their churches, they can work this one out for themselves. Even though we are not given a list of what all these gifts are that that Peter is talking about, we see a couple things that are true, okay? We're not supposed to keep the gift to ourselves. We're not supposed to keep it for ourselves. What are we supposed to do? Use it to serve one another. Why would we do that? Because we're supposed to be good stewards of the good gifts that God has given to us. So if God has given us a gift, then we are to use it not for ourselves, but for the whole body so that we can be faithful with the gift that God has given us. This is one danger of gifts in the church. We see this specifically in Corinth, right? Where um, people seem to be receiving gifts that are very, they're viewing them as very private and very personal. And then when it comes time for those people to express how God is working in their lives, and when it comes time for them to share their faith, they don't have a solid teaching in the Word of God to express that. What they have is a personal gift that is used personally in the larger group and is edifying themselves and not building up the people around them. And this is the same kind of danger that Peter is warning us against here. The gift is not to be kept to ourselves. It's not to be a gift that is to be used to simply build up ourselves. This gift is not necessarily the way that we express our faith. It's not necessarily the way that we evangelize. It's not what draws people into the church. What is it? It's to serve one another. It is to build up the church. But Peter does give two categories that these these gifts fall into. He says, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Now this does sound very similar to something that Paul was saying in Colossians chapter 3, verse 7. Whether in word or in deed, right? And we have these two categories here. Speaking and serving. Um, some people would view this speaking as simply the person that's preaching or the person that's praying or gets to stand up front and do something. I don't think that's what Peter's getting at here uh, because my job is actually to stand up here and read the word. Peter's job this morning was to actually stand up here and read the word. And we, we were in that sense speaking the oracles of God or the messages that God had given us to speak. Um, but what does Peter say? As one who speaks the oracles of God. Not necessarily saying that you have a new or different word from God that you're speaking, but with the same kind of seriousness that we should have when we start reading the Bible, when we start reading the Bible out loud, when we start studying it with one another. That's the kind of seriousness that we should have with other believers to be building them up. So these speaking gifts are simply 
gifts that are made to build up the church. It can be someone standing up front. It can also be someone that you go up to after the service and just encourage. That you show love to, that you show hospitality to by inviting them with your words. It can be what ladies' Bible study is. Not that I'm listening in. I might have walked through a couple times, though, okay? Um, Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. We know what this is like, right? To work in our own strength. Uh, We know that when we're working in our own strength, uh, we get weak. But what is Peter saying to us here? Peter's saying here that you don't just serve out of your, the kindness of your heart, which is flawed, <laughs> but you serve with the kind of love that Jesus, Jesus showed to you. And you also seek out the strength that God provides for you to be doing that. We could say it like this, that if God has given you the gift to serve and to show hospitality and whatever else, then he's also going to give you the strength to do that. And you shouldn't be doing it in your own strength. But once again, I think that this is not only referring to things inside the church doors, but this is referring to everything outside of the church doors as well. This affects the way that we are communicating to the world and interacting with the world around us. And then once again, Peter gives us a reason. In order that, in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. So that no matter what we are doing, whether we're speaking, we're serving, we're showing hospitality, um, We're using the gifts that God has given us to to bless others, no matter what it is that we're doing, that the goodness and the greatness of God are being made known through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory. That is to Jesus now, right? To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, this is uh, what many theologians call a doxology, which, if we don't know what that word means, it's actually a very simple thing. It's, it's just a tool. It's a memorable tool that is used to help us in our worship. Okay? It's much like when we memorize Scripture. This is Scripture, right? But when we memorize Scripture, what does that do for us? Well, it gives us the words that we need when we don't have the words, okay? When we go to God in prayer and we don't have the right words, you know what we do have? We do have Scripture. We can always memorize it or open it and say just everything that we read in Psalm 66 this morning. That's an okay prayer. And in a very similar way, that's what this doxology, this ending to to Peter's thought here, is doing for us. It's to help us organize our hearts and our minds in worship. Also, what this does for us, some people would argue that this, when we read this doxology, that's really the end of the letter, and the rest is just a footnote that Peter maybe wants some of the people to hear. Um, We're not going to take it like that. 
what we're going to take it as is just a time to take a break and reflect on what it is that Peter's just said. And to redirect everything that Peter's just said back to Jesus. But in the, this last verse here, we see that Christ is in control. And tying that back up to the beginning now, because Christ is in control, because the end of all things is at hand, we need to be thinking rightly. And we need to be acting rightly, as it, as it were. Knowing what it is that's going on around us and knowing what it is that is going to happen in the future when Christ returns. So on that note, let's take Peter's encouragement. Let's take a break. I know that I spoke quickly this morning. So let's just take a break and let's try to soak in some of what it is that God is teaching us through Peter here. Let me pray for us. God, you are glorified. And Lord, we also ask that you would be glorified uh, in Christ through us. That we would be living lives that show off your goodness and your greatness. God, you have handpicked us to be outsiders in this world. You have handpicked us to be sojourners traveling through this world, waiting for our heavenly home, forever spent with you. Your son suffered for us in a body like ours, and he suffered and died to show love in its fullest. He was one that was was and is completely right or righteous before you, God. And for us, who are dead in our sin and needing to be made right, he suffered. God, we ask that you would give us the same mind, Lord. We want you through the power of your spirit to convict us and to turn us away from our sin. God, we ask, as you said through Jeremiah, turn us and we will be turned. Repent us and we will be repented. Lord, we can't do it on our own. We do not want to be living lives that are consumed by the world around us. And we don't want to be just consuming it. Lord, remind us as Peter does here last week and today that we are all judged and we are living in a time when we wait only for you to act upon what it is that you have promised to do in your word. Lord, it is for you that we wait. Help us to show love to one another, a kind of love that those who do not know you would take interest in. Help us to love through being welcoming and hospitable. Not just with our outward lives, but with our hearts too. Help us to serve one another and those around us, knowing that you have gifted us to do that. And that you have 
gifted all of us differently to face the many trials and hardships that this world throws at us. As we do that, Lord, may we do it in the strength that you have given to us and not from the dried up reservoir of our sinful hearts. Father God, we seek to do everything in the name of Jesus through whom you are glorified. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Thanks for listening. And remember that you were brought into the church by the saving work and person of Jesus. Also, that you are sent out to tell everyone about him. We look forward to you joining us for the next episode of Mountain View Scattered.